0: If you want to support the show, the best way you can is through any of the books or current ongoing Vela shorts that are being released on a regular basis. The easiest way to find this is to go to bitbit.ly slash tmrbooks, and you'll have links there to everything. All of my Kindle books are available for free if you have Kindle Unlimited, you don't have to pay anything. You get it with your subscription. You can read them all. They're all in screenplay format. That includes Swan Song, The Muses, Duet, In the End, Our Past Does Not Define Us. Anything else that I've written that's available on Kindle, it's available there. You can buy a soft cover if you want. Uh, there's a hardcover collection of all of the Swan Song books, all combined into one. That's available as a hardcover. You can pre-order Echo Alpha, which is coming out in November. All of these things are available if you go uh, on Amazon. But, quick link, if you go bit.ly slash tmrbooks, I have them all there, nice, easily cataloged. Also, down toward the bottom, we have the Kindle Vella content. Uh, the first three episodes are always free. And then after that, um, there's a token system that you can use to... to you know, read. Even if you don't like it, just give it a thumbs up. Uh, that way we can get it up higher. Somewhere people see it. So, one final time that's bitbit.ly slash TMR books. And every Wednesday there's a new Vela book that goes up Taser and Acrobat, Nanite and Rosebud, Tales from Another World, and The Alchemist and the Illusionist. All go up on Wednesdays and it's all available on uh, Kindle Vela. All of this is available dot bitbit.ly slash TMR books. Sorry to overload the front, but before we start, one final thing. If you can please go on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you listen, and give us a five-star rating, that would mean a lot. We're trying to get on to uh, Rotten Tomatoes and sites like that, and we need to get more reviews to be accepted. So if you can go on and give us a five-star review there, that would be amazing. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we appreciate it. Everything you guys do when you listen this week on Thirty Minute Reviews, the Batwoman saga continues. There's a new Marvel Studios book that tells what happened behind the scenes of Marvel Studios during production. There's a DC, There's a Warner Brothers multiverse fighting game coming, which is bizarre to say the least, and other news that may have broken throughout the week. All this week on Thirty Minute Reviews. <laughs> Welcome to 30 Minute Reviews. I am Adam. So, it's Tuesday. I was going to record this yesterday, but I had some things pop up, so now we're doing it today. Um, long story short, very busy week, um, so we're going to you know, do it today with partial news. So let's start out with today's biggest story. And If you listen to this podcast, you know that this is a big story for us, because... We love the first one. We did two hours almost on the one that came out last weekend. Dune is getting a sequel. um, Which was somewhat of a foregone conclusion because the international box office was stellar going into this weekend. And this weekend it opened in the two largest remaining markets, which were the United States and China. It didn't do fantastic in China, it did like $16 million, um, which is big, because China has been, despite the pandemic, been doing gangbusters at the box office. I think the highest grossing movie, uh, highest grossing R-rated movie is now this movie from China, um, and I think that there was another movie that broke over a billion dollars, and I think it was like a, a, a rip-off of The Fault in Our Stars. And, and that's what, you know, so the Chinese box office been doing pretty well. Dune didn't do great, only making 16 million. But in the United States, it made 41 million, which is the highest of Denis Villeneuve's um, career. And I feel the need to say his name with a French accent every time. Um, so he. And I think that, like, you know, when we got down to it, before we even got into this weekend, the movie had made almost its entire budget. Ba- well, it made back the, the principal photography budget, but with marketing, who knew how far it was going to be? Plus, it was a hit for HBO Max, and I think it's also the highest grossing movie of HBO Max to open. So, that that's a big deal. Um, so, this movie's coming. The sequel's going to be coming out in October of 2023 which is not long at all to wait for a sequel. Um, Because if we look broadly at, like, what's going on with these movies, it's like, you know, this isn't something that, you know, happens infrequently. Like, I saw a quote-unquote think piece. I'm saying that in quotes because, like, this, it was from Screen Rant. And Screen Rant will hire basically anyone, it seems, to write whatever nonsense I think is, like, huh well, this is deep, and it's like, yeah, you're you're 12, what do you expect it to be, and it's like, this article was like, Warner Brothers didn't learn anything from the Snyder Cut, because they didn't shoot Doom back-to-back, and it's like, do you know how infrequent it is for movies to shoot back-to-back? It's like, think about how many movies there have been, and how many movies, like, that got a sequel, and the it's like, they released one year, one year, one year, one year, it's like, you know, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows probably did that, if I remember correctly. Um, Hunger Games definitely did for part one, part two, um, and all of that. Now, Dune didn't have that going into the announcement that this was happening. Whereas, like, The Hobbit be- had the build of, of you know, um, of what was happening. It was so expensive to shoot Lord of the Rings that doing it three times would have been cost-inhibitive. So, of course, they needed to shoot it back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Like, it, it, like in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, they shot back-to-back back because, not that it would have been cost-inhibitive, but with the amount of actors on set involved in this movie, it kind of needed to happen. Um, but for Dune and Dune Part 2, Dune Part 1 Dune Part 2... I understand why they wouldn't want to greenlight it, because while Villeneuve is a great director, um, I would say he's the best director of science fiction who is active today. Um, Because of that, I think that, despite I mean, in spite of that, his movies don't gross a lot. Like, the last movie he did before Dune was Blade Runner 2049, and Blade Runner 2049 did not do well at the box office. There was no pandemic to blame for Blade Runner 2049's failure at the box office. It's a high-concept science fiction movie, and it has name recognition. If you look at, like, the list of most influential films of all time, Blade Runner's on that list. It's, and, and 2049's a sequel to that movie. It is a—and and you can't—we don't have science fiction as a genre today without a few key movies— And it's like, Star Wars is on that list, and I would say ahead of Star Wars, Blade Runner's on that list of most important movies to science fiction as a genre, um, especially if we get into harder science fiction. Um, 2001's on that list, and I think that he is, he is, you know, that movie had a lot more going for it than, um, than Dune did, um, Because Harrison Ford's a draw. Like, Harrison Ford coming back and playing a role he played 20 years prior, or more than that, 30 years prior, puts asses in seats. Um, People want to go see Harrison Ford in theaters playing this role again. Um, That was a draw. Jared Leto, um, he's a draw maybe not after Joker, but after playing the Joker, but... You know, he was still a movie star. He still was after winning an Academy Award, and he was in that movie. Ryan Gosling, um, he's a draw, too. And it's like, uh, it, it, like there's so much going for that. And the thing is, too, it's like, people don't like the 1984 Dune as broadly as people like Blade Runner. And I think that that's something that needed to be, like, that That movie had more going for it and did $30 million at the box office. And it didn't open against anything that was going to kill its chances. Like, there there was no real excuse for it. Besides the fact that it didn't connect with audiences. And the fact that they gave him Dune. Like, I agree with him. You cannot do Dune as one movie. Um, before this even happened. Um, when they announced that that was his next project was Dune. I said it should have been a miniseries. Because that would have worked. But... Especially in the age we are in now with CGI and and all of that. and While Dune... I commend Dune for not using CGI as much as they could have. Um, it, you can't point to... What's it called? You can't point to that and say that, oh, we can't do it. Because it's like... I remember texting Peter when I was reading God Emperor. And spoilers for part two of Dune, which is coming out in two years. But the book is... Uh, gonna be 58 years old at that point. So, I don't feel as bad. Also, it was in the 1984 movie and the 1999 TV miniseries. So, like, it's not really a spoiler. But, you know, he it, it, it comes to the end and, and he takes back Ar- uh, Arrakis from the Harkonnens. And he takes over the galaxy, or the universe, the known universe. He takes over the known universe from, uh, from the Emperor. And... Because of that, like even going into f- future books, it's like these key locations have already been designed and rendered. So you don't—that's ha- now a cost that had to go into the first movie that doesn't have to get used again. Even when we get into God Emperor, where the planet is greener now because they've been terraforming it, it's you know you don't have to redesign Arrakis because like the wall is there around Arrakeen. Like, you don't need to redesign that now, because it's there. We have a city layout, we have a palace layout, you don't need to do that again. You don't need to uh, do as much casting. Um, There's no need to, like, you know, go and do that. And the thing is, too, is that I can guarantee, Warner Brothers is not stupid, I can guarantee they put options in the contract to, if we do a second movie, you guys are contracted for a second movie and you're getting this pay bump. Like, guaranteed that was in the contract. Um, and, and I think that, like, that's that's a big, like... It, it, people who are overre... Like, it's an overreaction to say that they, they misfired by not shooting them back-to-back. Back. It's like, no, I think that, like, had they done this, and then it didn't do well, and then the second movie, they were on the hook for releasing in theaters. Like, think about, like, what happened to Insurgent, which was the end of the Divergent trilogy. Like... Caught off the heels of the Hunger Games, they they sh- they sped this into production with Ann Woodley in the in the lead as Triss. and I know a lot about this book because I read Divergent and half of the second one, uh, and then I was like, "Fuck this, I can't do this anymore." Um, but Divergent, you know, comes out does moderately well. So they make a second one that does moderately well. They split the third one, Insurgent, into par- into two parts. I think that was Insurgent whatever the last one is, they divide it into two parts. Part one comes out and bombs the box office completely to the point where Shailene Woodley will not even return for the sequel because she doesn't want her name attached to this movie. And they didn't shoot it back-to-back. And what ends up happening there is, um, it would have been, I think it was Lionsgate who did Divergent, they were not on the hook for this sizable investment into a movie that... The audience showed they didn't want to see, so I think this is a smart decision. Um, and, and the thing is too, it's like Dune is kind of niche science fiction. It's it's a deep science fiction, and it's one of the like keystone works of science fiction. That's true, but it's a lot to expect an audience to to want to see a two part movie about it. And it's like if they had they not made a part two, I would have been bummed because I liked part one, but. I would, and I would have wanted to see the story told, but at least it ended off at a point where it's like, yeah, there's more story to tell, but that first movie is... It, it stands on its own. Um, and the thing is, too, is like the other reason why I don't know if people were surprised about this happening, um, they, there's a TV show in development about the Bene Gesserit, independent of this being greenlit. Like, that show is still in development. Like, Villeneuve is not directly involved in the development anymore, but that show is still happening. Um... So that's all the Dune news we have for this week um, on on Dune Watch. Um, We will, you know, not be doing Dune Watch until we start getting casting of of Fade Rautha and um, um, Aaliyah and the Emperor and um, Princess Irulan and all of that. Um, So, and I think that that's how they can open the next movie is how they open with Cheney, the visions of Cheney. Uh, they could open with the Visions of Irulan. I think mean, that's how they could open it, and it works pretty well. Um, and we do know that Villeneuve also has a plan for a third one. He has a plan to do Messiah, um, which is awesome. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Um, and I kind of want to—I'm looking forward to that. So, next news story. Um, we have critical response to the Eternals. And it's mixed. Um, to say it's, mi- it's Marvel-mixed. Um, which is different from everywhere else in the, in, in the entertainment industry mixed. Um, for a Marvel movie mixed is like, Age of Ultron, where it's, like, it's passable. It's the same thing with, like, Pixar, where it's, like, even the shittiest Pixar movies aren't bad movies. Um, maybe Cars 2, but, like, even, like, Cars 3 and The Good Dinosaur are still pleasant time wasters. And, like, you can get two hours of entertainment at Thor The Dark World or Age of Ultron... But they're not movies that you would opt to watch. It's like if they're on TV and it's like, yeah, I need ambient noise while I'm doing something, then I'll watch it. But, you know, it's not something I would look into watching. And it looks like Eternals may be a victim of the marketing. Um, because Marvel seems to be really putting all of its eggs in the basket of, um, like you know, from the visionary director of Nomadland, from Academy Award-winning director Chloe Zhao, and it's like, at the end of the day, it's still a a Marvel Studios entry, where it's like, this is still continuing the story where we picked up, where we left off with Endgame, and it's like, you know, if people are going in expecting it to be this grand thing like that, then maybe I'll be disappointed, and it's like, you know, it's it's a lot. And I think that another thing is I've been kind of vocal about this throughout the entire thing. It's like, I'm going to see the movie because I like Chloe Zhao as a director. I love Nomadland. Um, and I think that, like, I remember saying when I saw that movie, like, this movie's going to win Best Direction. Um, there's no way it doesn't. It's it, And when I saw, like, when I saw the trailers for this, I didn't have an instant connection to any of the characters or care about any of the characters in any meaningful way, the way I did watching the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Like, when I saw that Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, the first one, where it's like the roll call, where they're in the jail um, on Nova Prime, and they, they're going through everyone, and it's like, Rocket, you know, mutant created by this uh, by this person, um, Wisecrack and all of that, and it's like, Groot, you know, personal muscle of uh, of Rocket of rocket and, you know, all of that. And then it's like, Star, uh, Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. And they go through and they tell you everything about the characters. I don't even know the name of anyone in this movie going into it. And you wouldn't know the name unless you go out of your way to look it up. Like, I know Gemma Chan is playing Cersei. I don't, and I know that Selma Hayek is playing Ajax, and I know that um, uh, the guy from Game of Thrones is playing the Black Knight. That's it, though. I don't know Angelina Jolie's character's name. I don't know who the bad guys are besides just broadly Deviants. I don't know anything about this movie. I have no incentive to care about this movie besides it's a Marvel Studios production— And I feel like that's a lot of what Marvel Studios is kind of banking on recently. Because, like, even, like, WandaVision, it's like, you're not giving me, like, this show wasn't pitched with any reason to watch it besides just, here's the next Marvel Studios thing, go out, have fun, and watch this movie. Like, I had no reason to care about, like, Hawkeye besides just, okay, here's how we're introducing Kate Bishop. I wish I had done it without Clint. You could have done it without Clint, and it would have worked a lot better, but, you know, here we are. Um, and I think that if we go, like, and look at what this movie is going to end up being, um, I'm seeing a lot of comparisons to Zack Snyder, and I think that that just means they let the director do what they want. And I can see the criticism coming in now already. It's like, oh, so Marvel saw the Snyder Cut and decided to let Chloe Jai do whatever she wanted. And it's like, this movie has been wrapped since, be- since like, the before the pandemic. Um, so... Yeah, I don't think that's the case. We're going to just nip that in the bud right here and move on with our lives. And it's like, I'm going to see the movie anyway. Um, There was a high bar. And yeah, I know that when I did the review of Shang-Chi and when I did other reviews uh, on Beware of Spoilers. And they ta- and I, I saw the trailer and it's like, here is Isan the Searcher in, in full, in all of his glory on the screen. I was really excited because I'm like, we've never gotten this before. And if you told me this is what we were going to get, like, the Siestials writ, writ large, you know, in in a serious theatrical movie, I would have assumed you were lying. And it's like, granted, if we look at the other things Marvel's done, it's like, well, you know, if you told me that, like, okay, so, like, after seeing Iron Man, it's like, okay, so ten years from now, we're going to wrap up this, this, uh, this franchise, like, this storyline that started right here. It's going to wrap up there. Um, in that movie... Um, Captain is gonna be there. He's going to throw Thor's hammer. Um, Spider-Man will be in that movie as well. Will be wearing the Iron Spider suit. Will web onto the hammer and fly through the sky. Oh, and by the way, while he's doing that, he'll be clutching an Infinity Gauntlet with all six Infinity Stones. Um, and also be, um and also be, um, that, that gauntlet will not be the one that was originally created by, uh, um, by the, by the elves on, on Nivitalir. No, this will be one created by Tony Stark after that. I would have been like, you're fucking insane, and, and yet here we are, and that's a sequence that happens in Endgame, and it's like, yeah, I, I would have never thought we were gonna see this level of you know, interest from the Eternals, but it seems like it's, from what I can see, and I I really hate reading reviews before I go myself, it seems like, I mean, granted, I mean, it did also make Batman v Superman more enjoyable for me, because I went into that expecting to hate the movie, because I saw the reviews were awful, and I'm like, waiting for this movie to get bad. It's not bad, it's just aggressively okay. It's like, you know, I think that that's the thing that we need to, you know, kind of understand, is that it's okay for a movie to be okay. It doesn't have to be fantastic every time. Um, but, but yeah, so Eternals, you know, I'm still going to see it. You'll get my thoughts on it next Thursday. Um, but, yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll talk about that then. Um, next up, the Batwoman saga continues. Um, that would be the saga that began last week when Ruby Rose... Um, this is a small addendum. Uh, Ruby Rose came, um, made her claims about what was going on Regarding what was happening on set and how she was mistreated, and how she she ended up leaving because she was uh, because she alleged harassment, and Warner Brothers went after her instead of going after the people who were doing it, and she named Dugray Scott and the showrunner Carolyn, I don't know her last name, um, and all of that. So then Warner Brothers, in a uncharacteristic move in this era, if we sit and think about where we are in terms of accountability and entertainment and all of that, especially considering what happened with Justice League, Warner Brothers TV has kind of circled the wagons around the production of Batwoman um, to, to the point where they're like, you know, no, she's categorically lying. And then, like, several members of talent and crew have come out and been like, no, she's full of shit. Um, and the thing is, I said it last week, I, I think that not that this is overblown, but I think that some of she may have felt that she was experiencing this, and she may have experienced pressure that she perceived to be there um, to return after the surgery. Um, but to then say that like Grey Scott was abusive on set, when by all accounts like no, that's not true. Because the thing is, it's like they're very big over there. I'm like, we don't let that happen. Like, when the abuse allegations against Andrew Kreisberg came out, by the end of the week, he was um, either suspended without leave or fired or whatever, suspended without pay or whatever they did to him that he's no longer involved, that was by the end of the week that he was... Um, over, that, that the accusation came out. Hartley-Sawyer, um, when tweets came out from years ago alleging uh, misconduct and all of that... Um, he was let go. And there's even a detachment because like he would let go for tweets that are that are bad. Worse than James Gunn. I'm not gonna say that they're not worth that they were better they were on the same level as James Gunn. They were bad. They were racist, sexist, brutal in a way that's kind of disgusting. But he he was fired immediately and Warner Brothers picked up James Gunn after Disney fired him over his tweets. Um and it's like when you look at it broadly, it's like we, we have a feeling that she's not that she's making it up. because I don't want to say she's making it up. But like this feels like a way for her to explain why she's never going to be on the show again when fans keep asking her. Um, and now what happened was now she was put in a position where she wasn't expecting Warner Brothers to respond. I think she was just hoping that the story wouldn't catch and it would be a, kind of a small thing to do that. The story has caught fire. And now Warner Bros is like, no, she was fired. And then, Cameron Johnson, who was her co-star, and I would, I think he's the first male lead in the movie, uh, the, in the show, um, the top build man on the show. He's like, no, she was fired. Do you know how hard it is to get fired on the show? And it's like, look, if it was accurate that you know that was happening and it didn't, you know, there's been no account of anything like this happening on any other show that's a Berlanti production, and it's pretty far-reaching between You, which is going on its fourth year, I guess I picked up for season four, The Flash is on year eight, like, to the point where, like, during quarantine, uh, Stephen Amell went on record saying, like, hey, if you want to do Arrow season nine, I'm down for it, because you guys are going to be hard up for content, and, like, I'm down to come back. If that's the only thing holding you back from doing a season nine of Arrow... Don't let that hold you back. I will come back and do another. I'll do one more season of Arrow, um, for that. And Brolin's was like, no. And it's like, I think if it was really that serious, where like injuries were being covered up and being forced to come, people being forced to come back, like, I, I feel like Stephen Amell as a lead in the show wouldn't do that and wouldn't have offered that up as an option. Um, and it's like Tom Welling probably wouldn't have reprised if it was really that bad by at WBTV. Um, in, in Crisis. It's like, the amount of people that got back for Crisis, I think kind of speaks to the environment that WBTV has kind of had over the years. Um, because, I, like, and I've had my problems with Warner Brothers TV on the creative aspect. Like, I do not like a lot of what they did on Arrow. I have a lot of problems with that. Um, I don't think, that like, and, you know, that's not the point of this, but I think that, you know, to say that they're abusive is untrue. And the way that Warner Brothers TV has kind of circled their wagons around the talent that's being accused is um, what's going for, like, it's unprecedented in a way where, ordinarily, if this were to happen, um, they would just throw him under the bus. Um, Especially an allegation from the lead of a show saying, I left the show... Because these two people were abusive. Um come on. Like there there's no way that they would have that they, they would be doubling down like this and not hiring an independent arbitrator or an independent investigator to figure out what happened if it was not completely untrue. Um so it's just a bizarre situation all around. I don't know why she keeps doubling down, but she does, and there's nothing we can do about that. So Um, the next story, um, is a new book came out, similar to that one that came out last year about Star Wars, um, about Marvel Studios and about the creation of Marvel Studios, and there were two things there that really, like, made my imagination go wild. First was conversations that happened regarding, uh, Spider-Man's introduction into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, and I, I found it interesting that they went and, you know, went to that, that level of detail, I don't think it portrays Amy Pascal in the best light. Um, granted, Amy Pascal's emails from the Sony leak in 2014 didn't paint Amy Amy Pascal in the best light either, because um, there was a great exchange between her and I forgot who, where it's just, and I, I, I think it was her. Um, I seem to recall this where it's just like, you will not like. Did you see this movie? Can you believe how big Michael Fassbender's cock is? Like, and and it's like you know, look, when when there is you know. Look, Big cock always makes the news. Like, that's a thing. Like, Chris Evans' dick, you know, made the news last year. It's just going to be a thing that happens. So, like, I, I seem to recall that happening. But apparently what happened was they, when Marvel approached, or initially she was under the impression they were going to fold Andrew Garfield into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That didn't happen. And Kevin Feige was like, no. If we're doing this, I want complete control over the character because I don't think that this is a, a good decision just fold him in this way. And I, I think that despite The Amazing Spider-Man's misgivings, and a lot of people not liking The Amazing Spider-Man, I've maintained The Amazing Spider-Man 2, while not a great movie, um, has some of the best Spider-Man action sequences put to film. Um, especially, like, when he's going to the power plant to fight Electro at the end. Like... I think that, like, in a way that, like, Spider-Man under Marvel Studios is a little uninspired in terms of fight choreography. Like, I love Far From Home. Uh, I love that movie to death. Like, especially after you you hit the midway point, the movie really takes off. Um, I think that in spite of that, um, you don't really have a lot of real interesting things happening in terms of fighting visually. Uh, it's a lot of punching and a lot of that. I think that Mark Webb's kind of take on it was visually interesting, at least, and it showcased Peter as a, uh, as a as a like a technical genius to an extent, which is something that the Marvel Cinematic Universe version isn't lacking entirely. But they don't really lean into it in a way that would be more interesting. Um, and at the time, I seem to recall people being like, "Oh, that would be cool if Andrew Garfield showed up in an Avengers movie." Like, that would be cool. I'd be down with that. Like, you know, I remember seeing pictures of, like, people doing fake comics at a recruitment of him and Wolverine. Those were the two people we really wanted to cross over with Marvel Studios, but it wasn't meant to be. Um, and the other thing that was interesting was why the Defenders happened. Now, you may recall the the Marvel Creative Committee, which was the the committee that existed and kind of oversaw licensing... And what was happening in the movies? This committee was disbanded when Kevin Feige went over Perlmutter's head to Bob Iger, who's the head of Disney, and separated out Marvel Studios as an entity from Marvel Entertainment. So Marvel Studios became a a, a film studio under the Walt Disney Company, unrelated to Marvel unrelated to Marvel Entertainment. Now, what happened was. Um, as rights reverted, um, Marvel Entertainment refused to license those rights to Marvel. What's it called? Um, refused to license those rights to Marvel uh, uh, Marvel Studios. So, like Daredevil, famously was offered to be re- like Daredevil re- um, reverted in twenty thirteen, I believe. Or 2015. Uh, no, 2013, because it was right before the fla- the Fantastic Four movie entered production. Because Marvel Studios offered, hey, or Marvel Entertainment offered, hey, we'll let you keep the rights to Daredevil if we get the Fantastic Four. And Fox was like, no, 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 no. We'll make a great Fantastic Four movie. Good luck doing anything good with Daredevil. And then Daredevil reverted. Um... Marvel Television creates Daredevil on Netflix, which is one of the best seasons of television ever, season one of that show. And then they create, you know, what's it called? And and Van stick happens under Josh Trank's um, guiding eye. And, you know, for all of its problems, that, that, that happened. And they can't undo that now. And then what ended up happening was... Um, because Marvel was all focused on more of the cosmic aspect and they were building toward the Infinity Saga, what happened was there, there's still this internal licensing need where Marvel Entertainment has to license to Marvel Studios what they can use. And at that time, before the dissolution of the creative committee in 2017, um, which, which was dissolved as a result of the the realignment, Prior to that point, they needed, the, they needed to get a license from within themselves to do things. Um, in the same way that, like, um, on the CW, they need to license from DC these characters. It was the same thing there. Um, then Disney's like, no, this is retarded. We're not doing this. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But, you know, we're not, we're not doing this. So we're just going to have everything under one, under, under one roof. At this point, they had already um, licensed out some of the characters with exclusivity agreements to prevent Marvel Studios from using them. So I think that might be why in a later story we address this, Um, but we'll see how that goes. So, and and that's speculation on my part, but um, so like characters like Ghost Rider were tied up at uh, Marvel TV under when they, when uh, Robbie Reyes appeared on Angel Shield. Daredevil was tied up at Um, Netflix for two years after the culmination of Season 3. Same with Jessica Jones, same with Luke Cage, same with Elektra, same with Iron Fist, same with Colleen Wing. All these characters are tied up there. So that's why that happened. Um, It's an interesting thing about the internal business workings of this, if you're into that. Um, So the next one's kind of short. Brandon Fraser will be playing Firefly as the bad guy of Batgirl. And I don't know if this was announced before this point, but we know who the Commissioner Gordon is going to be in this Batgirl movie, and it's going to be uh, J.K. Simmons. So it is Snyder adjacent, and it also makes me question what Restored a Snyderverse is all about. If it's basically canon, because there's nothing about Snyder that's not canon, unless it's just, like, let him make Justice League Part 2. Um, But if it's, like, make it canon, it's like, well, it is canon, because, like, the Flash movie... Has his Flash and his Batman. Aquaman is his Aquaman. Wonder Woman is his Wonder Woman. Like Shazam has his has his has his Superman. Like all of that happens, and I don't understand why that's a like what what the restored Snyderverse is all about. Unless you just let him make Justice League Part Two, but. I don't think Snyder particularly wants that, and I don't think that, like, Ben Affleck wants that, and I don't think that... I don't know... Like, Henry Cavill seems perfectly content to be in, um, Witcherland and, like, I don't... I think that, also, Zack Snyder's perfectly content to be in Netflix Land too with Army of the Dead. I, I don't think either of them are particularly hard up to go back. Um, so, yeah. I mean, Snyderverse restored. Good job, guys. Um... Now, this is the other thing I alluded to with the possible rights issue leading to this. Um, There was a leaked image from Miss Marvel, and it wasn't a picture. It was, like, art from a t-shirt or something. And these things can somewhat be legit, because the last time this happened, it was the Guardians of the Multiverse, which was the finale of um, What If? And that's the only reason why I'm reporting this. And originally, there was a report that they changed... Miss Marvel's powers for her show on Disney Plus and rather than her growing and stretching and doing all of that she her powers in the show would be more like green lantern uh cosmic constructs of things um now I have a few thoughts on this because a lot of people are like, They can't change Miss Marvel and these people who are like that are like, Oh, they're ruining Miss Marvel. It's like four years ago or ten, six, eight, however long ago Miss Marvel was introduced, you were pissed off at her existence because she's Muslim and she's taking over Miss Marvel, and you were mad that um Carol Danvers is taking over as Captain Marvel, and it's like you were mad about that. Like that's what you were mad about before. Now that they did it and they changed the power set, you're mad about that. It's like, oh, this is unfaithful to what the character is. And it's like, well, whatever. Now, I, th- I talked this up to two possible things. Number one, it could be, and again, speculation, um, that the concept of the Inhumans are tied up in usage rights issues with existing contracts, with. Um, Marvel Entertainment, where the movies can't use them for X number of years after they were introduced on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or the Inhumans TV show. And that's who uh, Kamala Khan is. She's inhuman. She got her powers from Terra Genesis. Um, so I can buy that. Um, that's also my speculation. I think it's also possible that when they were making the show, they're like, hmm, we have, say, $200 million to do eight hours of television. Um, We cannot do stretchy powers that, A, look good, B, don't look horrifying on that budget. So let's just change the powers. On top of that, they have not introduced a single Inhuman in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet, because we now know that, like, Marvel Television is MCU-adjacent, like, officially, so, yeah, they didn't do that, so they can't jump in and do this, it wouldn't work, I don't think, um, so I, I think that that's kind of the other reason, is that there's a lot of narrative groundwork you need to cover that you didn't need to cover in the comics, and I think that, like, while they did it in the video game, you also have 300, uh, 30 hours to tell a story in a video game, and I think that, like, the other thing is, it's, like, it's just easier to be, like, Cosmic rays. Essentially, they're building towards the Fantastic Four. Like they're the most famous cosmic ray oriented characters ever. Um, so that would be pretty cool if they go- Like, I think that this idea is not awful. But like, if they're gonna make it where she's in line with the other characters, like who are part of the Marvels, I think having one Inhuman and having two other characters who are like light and energy-oriented doesn't quite mix properly. And I think if we're going to say she's part of this broader subset of heroes, it makes sense for her powers to be slightly different in the movie. Um, Or in the show. Um, I'm not going to get caught up on that, where it's going to be an issue that's going to keep me from watching. But we'll see how, you know... Like, as long as the TV show is good, I don't care how her powers function. And I think that if we're going to do... In humans, it would bog down the story a bit. Because, like, the idea of Terra Genesis is just so different from anything they had done before. Um, I kind of want to see how they introduce their powers here, but I don't know how they're going to do that. Um, and our final news story of the week... ...is Multiverses. Have you heard of Multiverses? It is a batshit new... Uh, ...alleged game. Um, not alleged game. It is a game. But it's in de- allegedly in development... Um, ...from... ...what's it called? From Warner Brothers... ...that is entirely just... Uh, a, a. ...it's an arena fighter like Smash... But it's got such a wild mix of characters from their universes, I kind of want to see where it goes. Um, where it's like Gandalf, Harry Potter is allegedly a character, but they may have stopped um, working on him because he's, uh, because his rights are complicated. Um, who else is there? Um, there is, uh, um, Batman, um, they're, they're, like Johnny Bravo, there are so many other weird characters in that mix that I kind of want to see where they're going and why that's a thing and and how this is going to happen. And it's like, just give me an arena fighter for every st- company. Like I'll I'll play it every time. Um, but like if we're going like wish list of characters, or like I think it's probable at this point that we get Pennywise, the Joker, Neo. Uh, I would say probably Paul Atreides, that's a Warner Brothers co-production. I don't know how the, the rights work for, um, for ga- like games in that regard, um, but we'll see. Um, and then there's also um, like I think you know you could also do Jack Torrance is a play could be a playable character. You can go deeper into like the the world of video of like TV like Dexter from Dexter's Lab, Blue from Father's from Magic I, Friends, uh, the Teen Titans are definitely going to be in there because Teen Titans go with like 80%. Rick from Rick and Morty could be a character. Um, Carrie Bradshaw from Sex and the City. Uh, Jay Gatsby from the 2013 Great Gatsby movie. That was a Warner Brothers production. Let's have Leonardo DiCaprio beating the fuck out of people dressed as a 1920s rich guy. Like, there's plenty of options here on the table, people. Let's not leave any stone unturned. Give me all of it. Uh, And I will play it happily. Um, So with that, we'll wrap up for this week. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with whatever other news happens. And probably next week, we'll do uh, another movie. It's been a busy week. So until then, have a great rest of your week. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Are you indifferent to the show? No matter what, you should probably let us know what we're doing so we can change it to better suit you, the listener's needs. You can go to either bitbit.ly slash B-O-S contact, which is a contact form page you can use. Also, you can just email us directly at 30 reviews at gmail.com. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we can answer them on the air. We have a few questions every week that will be selected to be answered on air. Um, so if you want to tell us what we should do, or if you have a suggestion for a movie or a TV show or something we should cover... Go to bitbit.ly slash B-O-S contact and also email us 30 reviews at gmail.com.